Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Don Myers has been a pastor, evangelist, and conference leader for more than 50 years. It's our privilege today to hear a message that he preached at the Dayton Interchurch Holiness Convention many years ago. It's titled, Showing Compassion. I know you will enjoy this wonderful message. Thank you, Brother Schmuel. And it is a real privilege to be here this evening hour. Our hearts have been warmed and delighted and thrilled with everything we have heard. And I just took a little courage a little bit ago when Brother Schmuel said we had to be out of here at 11 o'clock. <laughs> I don't know what that did for you. I'm sure you planned on being out of here by 11 o'clock, but uh, I understand now we have to be. So I'd like to ask you to stand with us tonight, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. I want to draw your attention to the book of Acts, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Acts chapter 3. And verse 1. <clears throat> now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the house of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Our Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts humbly in your presence this evening hour. Our hearts have been warmed. We thank you for thy presence that we have sensed here. And Lord, we would ask that thou would quicken our mind this evening hour. We pray that you will touch every heart in divine presence. 
And Lord, we would ask that thou would make this service all that you have designed for it to be. We pray above all else that thou would bring honor and glory to thyself. And for anything and for everything that is accomplished, we will bow at your feet and ascribe to you the honor and the glory, for thou alone art worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some time ago, several months now, Brother Shmuel asked if I would speak at this convention, and they assigned me the subject, the more excellent way, compassion and caring. This subject had been on my heart for some time, and I trust with the help of the Lord we will be able to share with you some things that rest on my own heart. I would like to ask the privilege tonight to just share from my heart my own feelings. I recognize that in this congregation there are intellectual giants. There are those that possibly cannot listen effectively. If you don't have one, two, and three, or A, B, C, but I confess to you that the matter of confession cannot always be placed in under number one or two or three. Sometimes we have to express compassion and caring when we least expect it. And for those that cannot possibly listen without an outline, I will give you a brief one and possibly not get back to it. In the scripture that I read to you, there is a very simple outline. There is the need for compassion. We see that in the man that was sitting at the gate. Secondly, we see the demonstration of compassion. They said, look on us, and they reached out and lifted him and introduced him to Jesus Christ. But I like the third thought, and that is the result of compassion. He went leaping and running and praising God. A more excellent way. We have tried a lot of things, we pastors and we in the holiness movement have tried a number of things, and there have been times that they have failed. But I would like to suggest tonight with my subject that there is a more excellent way if you have failed in other things you have attempted to do, and that is try compassion and try caring. I do have a little request tonight. I suppose possibly maybe I don't deserve it all, but anywhere along the line that you can agree and you would like to say amen, I'm sure it would help us. I, I guess you just can't hear them that good. Then shake your head. Raise your hand, stand up, do something. It's rather interesting to me in this scripture, in verse 5, it said, And he gave heed unto them, expecting to re receive something of them. While we are gathered here in this convention tonight, the world is living in an hour of expectancy. 
Say what you will, they are expecting something. By the way, thank God the church ought to be living in a moment of expectancy. But while we are expecting the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the world is expecting they don't know what. They're looking for problems and care and war and frustration and more welfare checks. They don't know what is in the future for them. My friend, while we look at the world, they often look at us expecting something from us. While I talk to you tonight from every quarter of the globe, from every circle of society, from hearts everywhere, folks are expecting something. My heart goes out to society tonight. We don't have time to deal with all of that in a matter of compassion, but my heart does go out to our society. We find here in the scripture that I read to you a lame man, lame from his mother's womb. I appreciate one thing about the scripture here. He was wise in his choice for looking for help. He was laid at the gate of the temple. Talk about compassion. I said we need to have compassion for our society. My heart goes out to them. While we are here, the publicity, the news media is giving to the religious shenanigans this hour. Really, they are almost, they're surfacing every day. Every time you turn around, there is a new problem in the religious world that is surfacing. And what it is doing, it is helping to reduce our effectiveness almost to the point of no return. When the world in which we look at is looking at Christendom, they are looking at a church or a world of religion that is not offering or giving them the compassion or caring for them or lifting them out of the mire and the clay and the muck and the destitute hour they're in. They are looking for somebody to help them. And my friend, while I know religion is being torn apart and, and we're being made fools of around the world, I would like to tell you tonight, my friend, we can say with those of old, silver and gold, have I all, oh, but can we say that? No, our church can't say that anymore because tonight while we have silver and gold and we can help those around us, I must tell you, my friend, more silver and more gold and more welfare checks and more other things, more handout will not solve the problems of our society. But I can tell you one thing we can say, such as I have, give I unto thee. And I believe down in my heart tonight, with all of my heart, I believe there is one thing that will characterize the church of Jesus Christ, and that is love and compassion and caring for those around us. I want to be careful naturally tonight. I want God to help me. But friends, I really believe that even beyond preachers, even beyond our sermons and beyond our singing and beyond whatever else we do, there is one thing that can be effective when all else fails, and that is compassion. Praise the Lord. They can argue with us. They can frown on your church. They can frown on your religion or on your standards or on your denomination, but I'd like to whisper a little secret in your ear tonight. There is one thing they find it awfully hard to knock or awfully hard to criticize, and that is compassion. 
It's a little hard for them to criticize you when you have your arm around them. Ladies, it's a little hard for your neighbor to criticize you when you're standing at the door during their crisis hour and when that mother is weeping tears, it's hard for them to criticize you when you have a fresh baked loaf of bread right out of your oven. You say that has nothing to do with compassion. Well, maybe it doesn't, but I tell you it really borders on it. Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. What a challenge. Church, can I ask you tonight, can I ask you tonight, could we open our arms to the world and say to the world, in such a destitute, critical hour we're in, can we say to the world, Look on us. Do we have anything to offer them tonight? They're tired of our sermons. They're tired of our standards. They're tired of the shenanigans. Yes, we do have something to offer them. And I fear that the church has almost lost it. We hardly have time for compassion. But I want you to know, thank God, it is, it is the answer to the hour in which we live. This man sitting there near the gate asked alms. He asked for sustenance for life. This man wanted to live. Can I tell you tonight that our neighbors want to live? The teenagers want to live. But they came to the place, my friend, where they feel there is nobody that cares. There isn't anyone to put their arms around the teenagers of this day. We point our accusing finger at them and we call we call them druggies and we call them hippies and we call them a lot of other things uh, while we claim to be apostles or disciples or Christians uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, I tell you, my friend, tonight while we are here, teenagers across America are jumping off of bridges and putting bullets through their brains. Uh, you know why? Simply because nobody cares for them. Nobody has put their arm around them uh, and nobody has got down and lifted them out of the muck and the mire and few times has anybody ever told them they loved them I don't want to sound in any way like I have thrown up my hands in despair. My friend, we still have the Word of God, but we have preached the Word, and it is effective, and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But, sir, wrapped up in our sermons and wrapped up in our songs and wrapped up in whatever we're doing, we must bathe our soul in caring and compassion or they're not going to feel the message anymore. Dear Lord, help us tonight to capture a new feeling and a new thrust for our generation around us. Amen. They're calling it quits because nobody cares. It costs so little. It costs so little to care, my friend. I could give you some homely little illustrations tonight. And I know that theologically they may not stretch your mind, but say, my friend, the generation we're in are not looking us to stretch their theological minds because they're not interested, but they are interested in somebody, somebody coming in their direction. I was in a meeting just a week ago in Illinois, and we got home, and 
There was a family in our vicinity, not of my church. They were of a Catholic denomination. And uh, I slipped down while I was gone. The father of this family had passed away. But I, just so simple, I went down to the funeral parlors. I have been friends with his family. The son is married into the, one of the families of our church. But I can remember walking through the, where the cemetery or where the funeral was. So I was walking around through the people and I came to where the casket was. The wife of this deceased, Mrs. Pellucci, stood up. She was a Catholic lady, and when I say that, that's no reflection. My friends, she stood up and tears in her eyes. She called me, Brother Myers, if you please. And with those tears in her eyes, she said, Brother Myers, I'm so glad you came. And while I stood there and these families gathered all around, the son stepped up side of me, and he said, Brother Myers, I want to ask you, would you be willing to step up here and pray with us? Uh, my friend, I didn't do anything tremendous or great, uh, but I took time to be there. And while I stood there, this young man turned and said, Mother, come here. And he called to Donna, his, his sister, and he called some of the family together. And I stood there, uh, my heart aching, uh, as we stood around the casket. And I said, Oh, God, would you remember this family? Uh, you're saying, we don't care what you did know, but I'm only trying to tell you it costs so little to care and it reaches into the hearts of people who are grieved and burdened and stirred, my friend, tonight. We don't have time to weep with those that weep and feel with those that are broken. I, I want to be careful, but I it's on my heart and I want to say some statements that may be a little strong, but I believe, brethren and ladies, whoever we are if we don't have time to care I think we ought to hang it up and go into something else the only chance I've got to win that family I'm referring to is to take time to let them know that they care they're wrapped up in their own denomination. But say, neighbor, say, neighbor, if you can show them you care and that you love them, it makes a difference. And I believe at the very heart of Peter and John's offer that afternoon was the spirit of compassion in the name of Jesus. And they reached out and lifted him by the hand. I read another place in the scripture in John chapter 5, the pool of Bethesda. A certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. Jesus said, Wilt thou be whole? And I think so these are some of the saddest words in the scripture. He said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Tonight across America, stories are repeated again and again. People are mugged and robbed and raped and murdered. And you can read the accounts in books and in newspapers 
where there are those that are lying in their own blood and crying for help and people can literally walk by them and step over their bodies while they cry for 30 and 40 minutes and nobody cares my friend while we are here and I thank God for the message this afternoon because I appreciate the fellowship of the saints but while you have somebody to love you and somebody to shake your hand and somebody to put their arm around your shoulder tonight in this very city there are those that will pillow their head and cry themselves to sleep and in your little community your hamlet your town there are those that nobody cares for you'll say but brother Myers they aren't interested in me I want to ask you if you ever have tried being compassionate towards them We don't have the time tonight, but I thought of the, the poem, and I'm not going to give you the poem tonight, but just to make reference to it, was battered and scarred. You remember the auctioneer thought it's scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folk, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar once, a dollar twice, and who'll make it three? Oh, my friend, sure, three, three. We know all about it. You know the poem. You know the poem. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow, dusting off the old violin and tightening the loosened strings. He played a melody so pure and sweet as caroling angels sing. But the part of that poem I want to give to you is down toward the end. And many a man with life out of tune and tattered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he hurries on. He's going once and going twice and going, and he's almost gone. We know the answer. It was the touch of the master's hand. But my friends, somewhere between the touch of the master's hand and that lost soul that's about ready to go into perdition, there lies individuals like you and me that must to reach down to those individuals. Uh, I think Fanny Crosby said it well when she said down in the human heart crushed by the tempter uh, feelings lie buried that grace can restore touched by a loving heart wakened by kindness cords that were broken will vibrate once more. Say friend have you ever restored anybody back uh, when their heart was in tune again with a Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it's awfully easy to watch our neighbors in our community woe back and forth day after day, lost as they'll ever be lost, uh, and say they asked for it. That's the life they want to live. Let them live it. But say, my friend, a little compassion might turn them out of the way. The scripture said we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. One day I was reading in 1 Samuel chapter 30 in my own devotions and I came across that little account and something struck out to my heart and I wrote in the flyleaf of my Bible, lost compassion. What I read was the story where the Amalekites had spoiled Ziglag. David is pursuing after them now. And on the way, they find an Egyptian in the field. You remember the story. 
and they brought this young man to David. They gave him a piece of cake and of figs and two clusters of raisins. And the word says his spirit came back in him. And David said to this young man, to whom belongest thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. And right there I wrote lost compassion. My friend, from there my mind and my heart began to work. I thought, what a picture, what a picture this is sometimes of some of our churches. And if you please, there isn't anyone else here for me to preach to. But you tonight, this young man is telling the story. I got sick and my master left me three days ago to die. My friend, can I ask you, how many can you think of right now in the church where you go to church? How many young men can you think of that graced our Bible school? and walked on our campgrounds that got messed up and they walked off and we left them to die. We didn't go after them. I appreciate the night the apostle Paul was preaching. It came near to midnight and Eutychus fell out. You remember what he did? He stopped his preaching and he went down and fell on him. I'm not advocating that we close the book and quit the preaching, but I am saying, sir, that there comes a time when we need, when somebody falls out of our ranks. You didn't answer the question, and I'm sure that you aren't going to tonight, but I am convinced in this congregation, in the holiness movement, we have lost as many as are here in this congregation tonight. They have fallen beside the wayside, and I am still convinced in my own heart if someone would have gone where they were and said, Johnny or Susie or Mary, I want you to know that I missed you Sunday, and I want you to know that I love you, and I want you to know that I care. We have lost far too many tonight. And the scripture says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye who are, which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I've read that a number of times, and I've had to, had to ask myself the question, Ye who are spiritual. There's not an awful lot of it going on. Can I ask you tonight, my friends, I'm not trying to be emotional with you either, but I would like to ask you, do you ever empathize with anybody? Do you have the ability to feel with other people? I've got to tell you, my friends, tonight, over the past few weeks, I came to the realization, I said, oh, God, I'm supposed to go to that convention, and I'm supposed to talk about compassion and caring. We can put some things together and talk about it, but, Lord, I've got to feel it. I've got to feel compassion in my own heart. I've got to be able to care in my own heart. And friends, I want God to touch my heart afresh and anew. That maybe I bungle around in my sermon, but if they know I love them and care and feel. I sat back 
in the congregation over to my left last year in this very convention, I had something brought to my own heart. The service was just beginning and I sat there with my youngest son and my family. My youngest son was side of me. A friend of mine was walking in front of the bleachers. I saw him coming and he walked in front of those bleachers very slow. And he was looking into the bleachers. He was looking at every seat in every row. He was looking for somebody. He got over to where I was and I caught his eye and he mouthed this word to me. He said, have you seen our son? He was just a little guy. And I said, no. My son nudged me and he said, Dad, they've been looking for that little boy for some time now. I began to empathize. I had children. I had grandchildren. And I sat and tried to concentrate. But Brother Smule, all I could think of was that little boy somewhere outdoors in this city, upstairs, I didn't know where. And finally, I said to my wife, honey, I can't stand this. I'll be back. And my son and I went out, and I know you're going to think this is foolish. I wouldn't have known the boy if I, didn't, if I saw him. I don't think I remember what he looked like. But I went out of this building and out into the street, seeing if I could see some little boy that acted like he didn't know where he was. I went upstairs. I went through this building. You know why? Because I began to empathize and I thought, oh God, where's that little boy? Help us to find that little boy. You say, we don't care about little boys. You better care about little boys. And if somebody comes into your church and says, pastor or sister, our son, we don't know where he is. You better ask God to burn that on your heart. We can have these conventions, my friend, and I'm not here trying to sound like some authority. We can have the conventions, but somewhere along the line, if we don't have a revival of compassion, it'll turn into just like our services. So many have been lost because of no compassion. I'm going to venture to say pretty much what I'm feeling on my heart. Some things you may not like what I'm saying, and I'm not saying them to be unkind. But there are there boys, are there some young ladies back home that you've looked at as a problem? I hope no visitors are here outside, what I would call visitors. I know we're all here from somewhere, but... I want to say something to wake us up. There are young people among our groups that are problems. We spot them. We mark them. We see them when they come on our campgrounds or to our Bible schools. We mark them and everybody knows. We know who they are. And the word is around of those who have the authority 
This time, one step out of the way and out they go. I expected it to get quiet here. This isn't popular and this will get me no friends. But I have wondered when they come on our campgrounds, that kid that's been a problem, that kid that sits in the back of your church, the fellow that fools in church, rather than determine the next move he's going out, I wonder what it would be if we determined the next time he acts up, we're going to go to the prayer cottage, we're going to go to the cellar, we're going to pray the God will help us to love him and put our arms around him. You say, that sounds to me like a lot of wish-washy stuff and giving a kid his own way. No, if you have tried compassion and caring to the nth degree, then put him out. But don't you dare to do it, my friend, out of the church or the school or the camp or anywhere else until you have fell on your face before God and ask him to help you to love him. And before you send him off, I think you ought to tell him you love him or love her. The old adage, the old saying is, laugh and the world will laugh with you. Cry and you cry alone and how true it is. But I thought of that one day in my own community and I thought, oh God, help me, help me to never let my neighbors cry alone. You say, have you succeeded, Brother Myers? No. I know there's some of them still crying. But I want to learn to cry with them. I want to learn to weep with them. I recognize that some of the older folk in this congregation have read this story and heard it before. But if you have not heard it, some of our, if you have, some of our younger men need to hear us. Alexander McLaren, who was a prominent man, a prominent preacher, a dynamic man in the pulpit. One day as he entered his pulpit, he noticed a very prominent man from the community in, a very learned man. And so he did his best to impress him. The service was over and the prominent man slipped away with the crowd, but he came back again and again. And Alexander McLaren went to his study and he went through his books and through the word and he tried to build sermons to impress this intellectual. Week after week and he returned and he listened attentively. And while in his study one evening, a knock came on the door and Mr. McLaren went and opened the door and here stood this prominent man. He said, Mr. McLaren, I wanted to stop by and tell you that I have found Jesus Christ. And Alexander McLaren standing there, he began to beam and he said, Sir, what sermon was it? And he said, Sermon, oh, sir, it wasn't any sermon. He said, I was 
coming up the stairs of the church and one of the little saints had slipped and fallen and I bent over to lift her to her feet again. And he said, sir, she lifted her face towards mine and the Shekinah, the smile, the glory. And she said, oh, mister, I trust you know my Lord. And he said, that was it. Fellows, don't get discouraged. Keep preaching the best you can. But I've got news for you. The best way you can impress people is to have compassion on them and care for them. Thank God for good sermons. But there's a more excellent way. I hope you folks here will understand tonight. But sometimes we grab our briefcases. We hurry here and there. We look busy. The truth of the matter is, if it was really known, sometimes probably all some fellows have gotten those briefcases as a list of what they need to do when they get back home and should have done it a month ago. A few extra rollings, maybe a little toothpaste and a toothbrush in case they don't get home, and some candy bars in case they get stuck in the elevator. Say, my friend, let me tell you tonight, it's all right to be busy, and I'm not ref reflecting on the men that carry briefcases. I have one. What do you think of that? And occasionally I carry it. But I tell you, my friend, we can run here and flit here and there and look busy about our ministerial duties and don't have time to rub a little fella's head once in a while. I feel like throwing the whole thing out and walking up and down the street and putting my arms around little boys and telling them I love them and throwing them a football or batting a ball with them. Giving them a quarter for catching a trout. You say, oh, come on, Brother Myers, don't you know where you are? It's dawning on me. I am in the convention. If you'll hold on, I will soon be gone from here. Don't get excited. I'm not finished yet. I just ask you to hold on. I had this brought to me one time. I cannot tell you how I felt. I was facing what I considered a crisis in my own life. I didn't have an answer. And I didn't seem to be able to find anyone else that had an answer. But I got a little hope. I understood there was a fellow going to speak at a particular place. And if I could get there, he might be able to answer some questions I had. I thought I'd try it. I took my wife and my mother, and we took a very beautiful ride. I drove 125 miles to hear this man speak. I don't have any idea what he spoke on. I don't remember. 
But when he got finished, he came down off of the platform and into the congregation and people gathered around him and I made my way over toward him. I had called ahead of time. He started walking through the tabernacle and I finally made my way to his side. I called him by name and I said, I wonder if they told you that I called. He said, no. I recognized immediately I was a nobody. But I walked with him out of the tabernacle and up across the grounds and I said, sir, I wonder, could I ask you a few questions? And this was his response. He said, well... And stretching his gait, he said, yes, you can, if you can keep up with me. I said a couple of words to him, and I faded off to the sidelines. Walked back to my wife and my mother and got in the car and drove home, discovering that a man with an intellectual mind and could preach like he did was lacking in caring and compassion. He said, are you being critical? No, because you don't know him. You'll never know him. I don't know him. And he didn't impress me enough to ever remember him. But I want to tell you something, my friends. I learned a lesson there. Donald Myers, you better have time for people that are hurting And I know, as Brother Wardlaw said today, we're not here in a mutual admiration society. But I can remember one night going out of a tabernacle and slipping upside of H.E. Shmuel with, I think, maybe some of the same questions. And I asked Brother Shmuel if I could talk with him. And in his own fashion, he put his arm around me and we walked out into the darkness and we talked together and I sensed compassion. How much time do you have? Sometimes we get awfully big. Brother Wardlaw gave mention to his grandson today, and you know, grandfathers like to do that. I think that was great, because I'd like to. But you know, I learned a, a lesson here just a few days ago, coming through Illinois into Indiana and stopped to see my own daughters. And the little bit of time I was there, my youngest little granddaughter came in and she speaks with just a little lisp, and she says, Grandpa, will you play with us? And I thought for a minute, it's not hard for me to play with him, but I was going to be assigned a job for that afternoon. I was to go out of the house to the sidewalk, and she said, Grandpa, will you pump gas? 
I sat on the sidewalk out there for a little while, and up and down the sidewalk, they rode their tricycles back and forth. They had a little pump about 18, maybe 20 inches tall, had a little bell on it, and you lift the pump off, and everybody comes by you pumped with gas. And the tricycle went by, and she'd jump off. And I sat out there in the, on the street corner, if you please, in front of the house, pumping gas. You say, Brother Myers, if I ever knew you did that, I would call your church at home and tell you, have them tell you to grow up. Forget it. You say, we don't care if you were pumping gas on the sidewalk. But I want to tell you, my friend, I came to this conclusion a long time ago. If I can show to the children or my grandchildren or the neighbor kids that I have a sense of caring for them and a sense of compassion, that I'm not too big to leave the pulpit and sit down and pump gas for an... Hey, I pump more gas in 20 minutes than most fellas do on the street corner down at the station in a week. But I can promise you this, when she loses her list, when she wants Grandpa to pray for, there's going to be a sense of remembrance that I pumped gas one day for her tricycle. You say, well, Myers, great for you. Did you ever read of Dr. Cromwell? He was a noted preacher and powerful in his day. And within one hour, he was supposed to speak to a vast audience. He was a powerful man in the pulpit. But where he was staying one hour before preaching, he came out of his room and a little girl stepped up, blonde hair and blue eyes, and she slipped up side of him and put her hand in his and looked up and said, Mr. Cromwell, she said, I must show you my kittens. And this great preacher looked down in those pretty blue eyes. He's full of his message. He's burning with the anointing. And he looked in those little eyes and he said, Honey, if I must see your kittens, I must see your kittens. And that little hand took him to the cellar way. And they made their way down some old wooden stairs, probably a cobweb here and there, and back through the dirty old cellar. And pretty soon he could hear the mewing of the little kiddies. And there they were. Her eyes were beaming. And this great man of the pulpit stood there and ooed and awed and said, beautiful kittens. And those little eyes were aghast in watching this big man excited over her kittens. My friend, I want you to know, he climbed the wooden stairs and went to the pulpit and they said, said with one hour a man who could get excited about a little girl's kittens uh, one who could care for a little girl's interest uh, and that congregation swaying and weeping under the power of God oh my friend that gave me more courage to pump more gas I know you're probably feeling that we're here called to do more in an IH convention than to tell about pumping gas or looking at kittens, but my subject is a more excellent way, and I believe it's a more excellent way to wrap your sermon and your song and your special and your praying up with a little caring and with a little compassion. 
I've got news for you, my friend. A little girl that sees a man looking at her kittens will sit and listen to him preach. We had a tragedy back home about a month ago. My wife and I slipped up. One of my board members was killed tragically in the woods. A tree fell on him. Such a dear family. But some nights ago, my wife and I went to the home to see his wife and his mother. And we sat there And she talked and talked and talked and talked. And we listened and listened. And when we got ready to go, she stood up and this is all she said. She just looked at us and she said, thanks for letting me talk. You say, Brother Myers, don't you have any good sermons? I'm not worried about sermons. I'm worried about being practical about sermons. I'm worried about being practical. But I've got to get home. I need to make calls. I need to do a lot of things. I need to clean the house. I just said to my wife, I said, honey, just be a good listener. My wife listened and we listened and listened. And that's what she thanked us for, just letting her talk. Why, Brother Myers, we would never get anything done around our place if we listened. Would you take this from me? You're never going to get anything done if you don't. Our Sunday school teacher back home and his wife, this is their testimony. They had the privilege of having Reverend Donald Hardy as their pastor a few years ago before I came there. And their testimony is this. They loved us into the kingdom. They were out in sin, away from God. But they said, Brother Myers, Brother and Sister Hardy, loved us into the kingdom. I happened to have followed Brother Hardy in pastoring the church at Schenectady, New York. And when I came there, they were in the height of a revival with a hippie movement. And the same pattern was there. He had loved these kids, dirty, stinking kids, into the kingdom. You could hardly stand to kneel sight of them at an altar. But he loved them into the kingdom. <clears throat> I'd like to close. And probably you'd like to have me. And so we're together. I saw them coming one day. I was standing in our driveway. And I saw them coming. I raced into the house and put on my ecclesiastical robe. I grabbed my Bible and the manual. And I met them coming up the driveway. You know who it was? It was three little guys almost out of the Sugar Creek gang. 
One was about eight and one about nine, and the other chap was about 10 or 11, and they were coming up our driveway with their swimming suits on. Now stay here. That's why I had my Bible and my ecclesiastical robe and the manual. Do you boys know where you are? No, I didn't go get my robe and I didn't get the manual or the book or anything else. I met them. And I know the devil will run off with this, so I've got to digress. I believe in keeping our homes clean and pure, and I believe in holding a standard, and I'm not knocking that. <clears throat> but here come these three little guys. Their faces are beaming, and one of them has got a great big truck tire. One of them's name is Charlie. The other little guy is Eddie, and the other one I think was Bummy. Great names, aren't they? Charlie is about 10 or 11. He's a little butterball. There's more out of his suit than in it. Behind the parsonage, dropping about 25 or 30 feet, there is a river that comes right behind the parsonage, and their faces are beaming, and they're saying, Brother Myers, are you going to watch us go down the river? And I said, yeah. And so they went around the house, and we started down the bank towards the river. The two little guys are thin and nimble, and they started down. They had no problem holding on to trees and stepping here and there, and they're down to the river. I'm third. I've been down there before, so I started down, and I'm holding on to a tree and stepping here. And I happen to turn around, and I'm going to help Charlie now. He's a little chunky guy. And I said, step right here, Charlie. Hold on there, Charlie. Step here. And he got right above me. And honest, this is what he said to me. I'm in the bank looking up, and he's hanging on looking down. And he said, you know, Brother Myers, one time we came down here, and he said, somebody on the bank hollered down and said, you boys, keep your clothes on down there. It doesn't mean anything to you, does it? Uh, he said, uh, keep your clothes on? Yeah. So we got down there. What I'm trying to say to you, my friend, unless I explain, it will mean nothing to you. These boys came from homes that are broken. They came out of homes that smoke and drink and divorce. And these little kids right now will chew tobacco and spit tobacco. They have no idea, only the little they have got out of coming over to Sunday school. There isn't anybody that cares for them. There isn't anybody that cares whether they go to heaven or hell unless we do. And they're down there and behind the parsonage, there's a couple of deep holes, not really deep, but for little kids. And they're down there and they're going to swim. And the ecclesiastical robe says, keep your clothes on down there. 
And I know this is a bad place to try to land this whole situation. But my friend tonight, I'm not minimizing our standards. But here's three kids fresh out of the Sugar Creek gang. And they're down there swimming. And he said, you're going to watch us. And I did watch them as they launched. They put the big tube out in the water. And of course, Charlie now is in the center. He fills the whole center like this. Here's the tube. And little Tunky Charlie, he makes his way into the center. The two little guys are hanging on the side and they're starting down the river and I'm leaning over the edge. The branches are out and I'm watching them they go down the river and the last I see of them, they're waving and Charlie's looking around on the tube trying to wave at me and I'm reaching out and waving at them. They say, who cares? Well, I care. They didn't have any idea what they meant by keeping your clothes on in a swimming hole. But they knew what it was when I was interested in watching them go down the river. And not long after that, we were in revival with Paul and Nancy Gray. And the last Sunday morning, Brother Gray took a love offering for us, had my wife and I stand in the front, and people begin to file around and shake hands and hug us and put a little offering in the basket. And who do I see coming around the corner but little Charlie, little barrel Charlie, and he's coming up. And when he gets there, we embrace and hug each other. My Sunday school superintendent said, Brother Myers, I could handle it until I saw Charlie put his arm around you. And he sat there weeping. He say, we don't care, Brother Myers, what you did. I'm not trying to tell you what I did, but I'm trying to tell you my friend that we need to maintain a standard of modesty and holiness and purity of heart but when it comes to the world my friend we need not to say keep your clothes on down there boy but we need to get down and watch them as they go down the river and wave back at you it gives you an opportunity to hug them in the house of God We don't give them a chance. We try to dress them and undress them. We try to put on and take off. But I want you to remember, my friend, there was a spirit of compassion in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll remember, if you'll remember, my friend, uh, it was Jesus Christ that healed and clothed the demoniac. A sense of compassion and caring. See, Brother Myers, it sounds to me like You've got a vein of worldliness and compromise. You can call my church anytime you want to. Our conference president is in this congregation tonight, and so is his wife. You can ask them anything you want to tonight, my friend. I'm for old-fashioned holiness and old-fashioned holiness standards. But, Brother Smule, I have come to the conclusion, unless the holiness movement pulls itself out of the mainstream and acting so busy all the time, unless we have a spirit of compassion and love and caring for those around us our sermons are not going to mean anything and our mode of dress and our testimony won't mean anything if we don't care I know you've heard this story many 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 times I came on the platform tonight and I 
shook hands with Brother Gale. I couldn't help. I had Brother Gale's name in this message. But I couldn't help but think of it, Brother Gale, once more. I don't really know all the story. I'm not going to take the time because I don't know it all. But I think they tell us that he got saved somewhere down at a Sunday school picnic. That's more than some of you can handle. I don't believe he got saved at a Sunday school picnic. Doesn't make any difference what you do believe he did. Because some other chap told him the preacher could play ball good. Come on down. And they played ball. And after they played ball, they prayed and he got saved. But he went away to Bible school and I'm not here to expose him. He's exposed himself in this area and told us his story himself. But do you remember it? In Bible I don't know, Brother Gale, how many times he was dismissed, but six or seven or eight times but there was somebody that prayed for Brother Gale. And, oh, can't we give him one more chance, one more chance? And they gave him one more chance and another and another and another. And after seven or eight times getting kicked out of Bible school, if you please, somebody kept interceding until Brother Gale got his feet down. Brother Gale, wherever you are, I'm so thankful somebody loved you and cared for you and had compassion on you. I've seen more kids bite the dust. I've seen more fellows lose their way when I thought, oh, oh, if only somebody would put their arms around them. My time is up and past, and I close, I promise you, with this. Senator John Stennis one night left a Senate meeting, parked in front of his house, 50 feet away from his own door, he was accosted by some young robber boys. They relieved him of his wallet, his watch, and he began to talk with them, and it roused some interest, and they said, for that, we're going to shoot you. And they shot Mr. Stennis through his stomach, one bullet in his left thigh, I believe. He fell in his own blood. They took him to the hospital. But on the way home, Mr. Stennis, by the way, was a Democrat from Mississippi. Coming from the same Senate meeting was another senator. He heard the news. He turned and made his way to the hospital. And that other senator was Mark Hatfield. John Stennis was a hawkish Democrat. Mark Hatfield was a Republican dove. Hatfield went to the hospital and knew the least he could do with a real opponent of his. The least he could do would be to offer his services. Said he went into the hospital and calls other senators and people were calling. The news media was there. Everything was in a hubbub. But said he went over to an answering service and he began to answer calls. 
Never told anybody who he was. And they said he answered calls all night long until the break of day. He didn't tell anybody who he was because he knew they would question, say he had an ulterior political motive. But in the morning, he said, yes, I am Mark Hatfield, but I wanted to do what I could do for a man whom I respect, although they were on opposite sides. I don't know how to say it, but I thought to myself in closing this message, I thought, dear Lord, if a dovish Republican could spend all night with a hawkish Democrat who were on opposite poles, showing that he cared, showing compassion in his crisis and critical hour. Forgive me, but I thought, oh, what we ought to do in this congregation tonight. Our brother hit it this afternoon. We are of different labels. We are different denominations. And say, friend, let's be honest tonight. And I don't want to ruin all that I have said, but let's be honest tonight. Ask ourselves the question, Brother Myers, where can we start with this caring and compassion? I would like to tell you we could start it right here. There are some, my friend, that don't agree. We may not see eye do I. We won't walk in the same aisles. We don't agree and we let it be known. But I think we could have a revival in the holiness movement tonight if in this very congregation we would ask God to help us to love the guy over there that doesn't wear the tie we wear. She doesn't comb her hair like I do. I don't think he feels just like I do. I want you to know that I love you and care for you just the same. And I want to have a sense of compassion when you're facing your crisis hour. If we'd start practicing compassion right in this auditorium tonight. Did I say something wrong? You sound it. I know that got a little close. And that's kind of a dud end on it, isn't it? Well, that's where we're ending. If right here tonight... We would have compassion for each other and a spirit of caring. You would find even in this convention, that's the more excellent way. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.